Good morning. My name is Danielle Morrow, and I'm a member here at Redemption, and I have the great honor and privilege of reading today's scripture for us. I will be reading from Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 through 29. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. This is God's word for us today. All right, let's pray as we look to God's word. Father, use your word to do what you've told us in your word it does. Use it to shine a light on our lives, to reveal our sin, to point us to Christ, and to unite us together by faith in him. We really believe that you're doing this. I want to ask that you do it even now today, and I want to ask that you would help us to understand why it is and how it is you've always sought to do this. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my wife, Carrie, is, uh, she's, oh, she, I didn't tell her that she's the introduction today. My wife, Carrie, is very talented in many, many ways. Uh, and it's true. She, she sings. She's a photographer. Uh, she's great with interior design. She, in particular, even has been refurbished some furniture. And she actually refurbished this dresser that we keep in our dining room. You can't really see it all that great up there, but this is the before picture. And it's not great, right? Uh, it kind of looks like we got this thing at, like, at, at Count Dracula's estate sale, right? It's, it's like real dark and dinged up, and it's missing knobs, and it's just, it's just not great. But I'm so impressed with how it turned out that now I love to show this dresser off. But when I do, I like to start by showing the after picture, or sorry, the before picture. Because if I, if I showed you the after picture, I'm sure you'd say, wow, Carrie, great work. I'm sure you'd really like it. It's a great dresser. Uh, but when I show you the before picture first, this is how before pictures work. When I show you the before picture and then I let you see the after picture, which is here. Wow. Okay. Now you have a whole new appreciation for this dresser and the woman who made it new. Here's the point. Uh, it is hard to appreciate something that has been made new unless we understand what it was before. Today, this is what we're going to see. This is true when it comes to God's promised family. If we don't realize how his family used to work, we will never appreciate how it works today. And without a doubt, last week's passage and this week's passage go together. That's why they're called part one and part two. Paul is considering here what it means to be a son of Abraham 
And in particular, he's trying to untangle some confusion for the Galatians about the relationship between the law and the promise. God's law and God's promise. But in particular, I'm convinced Paul gets to the central argument of this letter here in our passage today. Actually, in more ways than one. Galatians is actually uh, six chapters long, and we are right now at the very end of the third chapter, which would place us at the center of the letter. Uh, And and I do think, uh, I'm also convinced that everything Paul has said before this was leading us to this point in the letter, in our passage. And everything Paul says after this, in one way or another, is flowing from what he says here, looking back to it. It's almost as if Paul is he's zooming out to summarize his entire argument. And the primary question that's on Paul's mind in our passage is this. What has changed about God's family now that he's sent his promised son? What has changed? And he tries to answer that for us in a way by showing us a before and an after picture. Uh, look with me at verse 23. It says, now before faith came. Here's our before picture. Then look at verse 25. But now that faith has come, and everything after that, this is, this is the after picture. Now, it's interesting he uses this word faith, right? Before faith came. Uh, it can be a little confusing. Uh, he is not suggesting that there was no such thing as faith until Christ came. Uh, he just told us actually not long ago that this whole story has been about faith ever since Abraham, right? He believed in God. It was counted as righteousness. So instead, what he means by this is before the object of our faith came. That is before Christ was revealed, before we had a specific Messiah to rely on by faith. When Paul says before faith came and now that faith has come, he means Christ. He wants us to see how God's family is different now that he has sent his son. And to do that, First, he shows us a before picture. This is what we'll do in part one. Before God's son came, Paul tells us Israel's law was a guardian leading us to Christ. It was a guardian. Now, Ron did a great job explaining this last week from last week's passage that the law is good, right? But it did not alter God's promise to bless all nations through Abraham. Uh, that is still his goal. It has always been his goal, and he is accomplishing that goal not through obedience to the law. He's accomplishing it in Christ. In fact, uh, the law was never meant to justify anyone. Instead, it was meant to sort of reveal our sin. So, So the problem with the law is not that it was just like a bad idea from the start. The problem with the law is not that it was even a faulty system, per se. The reason the law does not justify us is because it was never meant to justify us. That's not the purpose of the law. Now, it's important that we remember that from last week, but then here, Paul explains the role that the law did used to play in God's family before he sent his son. Look with me at verse 23. Now, before faith came... We were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So in a way, Paul is saying that the law had this effect of of imprisoning us, which, which means not only did it reveal our sin, but in a way, the weight of its condemnation was also, it was bearing down on us. Sort of like a felon on death row. We use that phrase for them. That's a dead man walking, pretty much. 
The idea is they are so guilty before the law. They are so imprisoned. They have no hope of escaping the law's punishment and condemnation. For example, murder. It is against the law. Unfortunately, that doesn't stop everyone from doing it. Uh, It just clarifies what should be done if they do, right? So namely, they should be taken into custody, at the very least held captive, because those who break the law go go to prison. And here's the point. They, They go to prison so that they don't keep doing harm to others. So the point of holding us captive and imprisoning us in this way, it was not just to punish us even. At least in one sense, the law was also meant to protect humanity so that our sin didn't run rampant and create all kinds of of chaos in the world. In that sense, the law, it's a help to us. And and, and this, uh, this is why next Paul says, so then, here's the point, the law was our guardian until Christ came. And what is a guardian? A guardian is, is not quite someone's parent, but it's an adult who is responsible to care for the child, right? Uh, and so, in other words, the law, it was sort of a temporary, less official caretaker for us. It's not quite like a parent or like a father, for example, but it did serve kind of the same purpose of, of basically keeping us on track for a time. Well, why? Look at the end of verse 24 in order that we might be justified in a totally different way by faith, not by the law. So the point of Israel's law was never to justify us. It was to reveal sin and in a way to restrain sin so that the promise to God's promise to bless all nations through Israel wouldn't just fly off the rails. But the law kept Israel on track until the father sent his son to get us into the family in him. And here's why this really matters for the Galatians. Paul's basically saying to the Galatians, listen, as Gentiles, if you're trying to get into God's family by being circumcised and obeying the law, the problem with that is not just, well, I don't know, it might not work. No, the problem with that is it was never supposed to work that way. You have misunderstood all of the law. It was never God's goal to get all nations into the nation of Israel through circumcision and obedience to the law. No, God's promise was always about his son, Jesus Christ, and the law was a guardian that was leading us to Jesus Christ. So yes, God used to have one chosen nation, that's true, and they used to be under the law, that's true. But all of that was just a temporary solution until his son was revealed. Now that his son has been revealed, he is creating a whole new kind of family. And this is where we get to see the after picture here. This is where our jaw is supposed to drop as we see the beauty of this new spiritual family. Now that God's son has been revealed, we see faith is how God unites all people in Christ. But now that faith has come, Paul says, we are no longer under a guardian, right? So our guardian, the law, it's filled its purpose. It was leading us to Christ. He has come. And here's why we don't need to live under the law anymore to get into God's family. Verse 26, for, Paul says, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. That is You, he's saying, the Gentile members of these local churches that I'm writing to, you are sons of God through faith. Notice, 
not because you're circumcised, law-abiding citizens of Israel. That was before Christ. That's how it worked. But now, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. This is the whole idea. There is only one human son who deserves to be in God's new spiritual family. It's Jesus. And our only hope of getting in is if we get in, in him. This is so important. It is not that there is just something magical about faith in general, as if all we need is sort of believe in the right doctrinal truths and then God just kind of flips some magic switch and just we become sons of God. No, when we place our faith in God's crucified son, we are literally included in him in a spiritual way. Our faith makes us part of him. That's what it means theologically to be his body. That's what the point of the church is. This is so crucial because in that sense, Christ and his church are the same. We are one. Again, that's the theological idea of, of being his body. This is why when Paul was killing members of these churches, Jesus appeared to him personally and he said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? This also makes perfect sense based on everything Paul's already said in this letter because in a spiritual sense, our lives in the flesh are now over, right? We've been crucified with Christ and it is now he who lives through us by faith. This here is the doctrine of our union with Christ. And, and the whole thing rests on faith in him. Absolutely. That is true. And yet there's even more going on than that. As a result of our faith in him, Christ actually lives through us. He lives through us individually as if we're kind of parts of his body and collectively as if we are him. And here's the point. It is this union with Christ that makes us sons of God. This is how we get into this new family. If you don't understand this next sentence, you haven't understood Galatians. God the Father is creating a new spiritual family in his son. It's incredible. Uh, it is not as though when we believe in Jesus, God just sort of waves the wand and, and gives us our own status as sons and daughters in the family. No, it's that when we believe in Jesus, we're crucified. We are united with him as if we are in him. And therefore, we are included in his son's status. Not just because we're okay with him, but because, again, in a spiritual sense, we are in him. Now, that may seem odd to some of you, and I realize that. I just want to acknowledge, like, well, this is getting way too spiritual for me, maybe, right? See, it seems like you're really overemphasizing even the church, right? When you say it that way, it's almost like being part of one of these local churches, like, really matters. You know, like, like, it, like it means something spiritual. Exactly. That is precisely Paul's point. The local churches he's writing to are God's new spiritual family. More than that, in a spiritual sense, because of the faith of each member, these churches are in Christ. They are Christ in the world. They're how he does his work. This is why next Paul says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. 
So to be baptized into one of these real churches is to be baptized into Christ. Now, that does not mean that baptism is what justifies us. We have to be really clear about this. Paul just said, you are sons of God through faith. But it does mean this. It does mean that faith and baptism and our fellowship as a local church should never be separated. All of these things go together. They all reveal this incredible mystery of our union with Christ. And in this sense, these real churches are God's spiritual family that he's creating in his son. And this is what it means to be members of his body. It means we are in him together. And here's the point. Here's why it really matters for Paul's argument. It's because that new spiritual union is what radically changes the nature of God's spiritual family. And here's how it changes the spiritual family. Verse 28, as a result of this union with Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. <laughs> there is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. Why? For you <laughs> are all one in Christ Jesus. That's why. <laughs> so Paul lists, notice, three different earthly identities here. And his whole point is, look, before Jesus came, these things actually were relevant if you wanted to get into God's family. But now that he's come, they're not. Because now the only way into God's family is in his son. Do you see that? So the three kinds of earthly identities Paul mentions here. First, one is an ethnic identity. Uh, before Christ came, your ethnic identity did matter if you wanted to be part of God's family because he only had one of them. It was the descendants of Abraham. It was the nation of Israel. But now that Christ has come, there is neither Jew nor Greek. doesn't matter. Because now all of us become sons in him by faith. Next, he mentions sort of a social, economic identity. Uh, before Christ came, it really mattered if you were a slave or a free citizen of Israel, if you wanted to be in God's family. Think about all the servants that God gave to Abraham in the Abraham narratives, when he went to Egypt and went around, all those servants. Or think about his son Ishmael, uh, who was cast out of his family and excluded from the inheritance. We're going to talk about this next week, but if you go to Genesis 21, Sarah said, cast out this slave woman with her son. Uh, he can't be part of the inheritance, right? That's how it worked until Christ came. Now that he has come, there is neither slave nor free. It makes no difference because now all of us become sons in him by faith. And finally, he mentions our gender identity. Before Christ came, if you were a woman, it mattered that you were married because God's promised line was traced through circumcised men. This is how he defined the covenant family. In a way, your status in his covenant family was contingent on a marriage union with an Israelite man. But now that Christ has come, there is neither male nor female. It, doesn't, it makes no difference. Both men and women become sons by faith in God's Son. So women, I tell you, I know this has always been your dream. But in Christ, you can finally be circumcised, right? 
Now, I get, listen, we laugh, right? In a physical sense, that's funny. I think it's actually hilarious. But in a spiritual sense, in a spiritual sense, it's true. Christ has upgraded your status in a way. Listen, your union with your husband, it's still a picture of Christ in his church, absolutely. But it has nothing to do with your place in God's family. That's new because you can be united with his son. So I want to be really clear about this. Paul's point here is not that faith in Christ erases our earthly identities. That's not the point. He just told us a couple weeks ago that he is still a Jew by birth, not a Gentile sinner. Paul is still a Jew in that sense. In other letters, he specifically addresses husbands and wives, and he gives them different instructions for how to be faithful in marriage. In 1 Timothy 2, he will say that women are not permitted to teach or exercise authority over men in the life of the church. His entire letter to Philemon is about a slave's relationship with his free master, right? And so so the point here is not that faith in Christ altogether erases our earthly identities. It is that faith in Christ makes our earthly identities irrelevant to our status in God's family. And here's why that is. It's because every member of every church, whether they're Jews or not, whether they're slaves even or free, whether they are men or they're women, all of them are now one in Christ. Together we are each different members of his one body. And by becoming members of the son's body, we have become sons ourselves. That is the family God was promising to create when he made that promise to Abraham. Even way back then, he was envisioning the church. He was envisioning the body of his son, Jesus Christ, which is why next in verse 29, he says this, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to promise. That, I'm convinced, is the central logic of Paul's entire argument in this letter. That right there is the after picture. That is how God's family has changed now that he's sent us his son. It is no longer bound to one nation or one earthly family. It is no longer held captive by the guardian of the law. God is now uniting all nations into one spiritual family by faith in his son. And there's only one appropriate response to that. There really is. It's all glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ. That's the point. We never would have been included in this eternal family if it were not for God's eternal son. God's son is the point of God's family. God is even creating the family in his Son, And so next what I want to do is just consider what all this means for us today. And in particular, I want to share three things that have changed for us now that God's Son has come. Three things that have changed. The first one is this. Now that God's Son has come, faith in God's Son sets us free from the law. This is such good news, church. Uh, If we believe what Paul is saying here, and if we take it to heart, the right response is one of incredible relief. We should feel a burden lifted. 
So we all know the crippling anxiety of being guilty and feeling the weight of punishment that we deserve. We know this. This is what we feel, by the way, when we're captive in our cars on the side of the road waiting for the police officer to come uh, after he pulls us over for just clearly going 20 miles over the speed limit. That's what we're talking about here. That's the feeling. Uh, This is what we feel when we really drop the ball at work and our boss calls us into the office. This is what we felt as kids when we got in big trouble at school and we came home just knowing it was a matter of time before our parents found out and we had to face them. That was the spiritual state of all of us before God sent his son. We were guilty before the law. We were captive. We were imprisoned. There was no way around it. All of us knows what that feels like. But we also know the relief of hearing the officer say, listen, slow down, but I'm going to let you go today. We know the joy of hearing our boss say, don't worry about it. It's okay. I'll handle this. We know the relief of our parents telling us, look, I'm disappointed, but I love you. I forgive you. Church, that is what our faith in Christ does to our relationship with God. It sets us free from the weight and condemnation of his law. So it's probably one of the most important things you need to hear today is that God is not looming over your life, just waiting to see If you live up to his standards, he's not doing that. (laughs) Your heavenly father knows that you can't. He knows that you never will. It's the good news of the gospel. He still wants to make you part of his spiritual family. And this is why he sent us his sinless son. Here's what this means. It means as Christians, we should never be happy, sort of gloat that this world is under the condemnation of the law. We, sh- we can never have that posture, ever, because uh, we would be too if it were not for God's crucified son. We needed him to set us free, and the only reason we are is because we are in him. This also means that we can never just accept the sinfulness of our world as if there's no real hope that anyone can actually be set free from sin, and we're all just bound to be imprisoned to it forever. No, that was basically what the case for many of us before God sent his son but he has sent him now, and we have an after picture. We have the hope of union with him. So if you're here today and you are not a Christian, uh, maybe you just haven't really taken this spiritual stuff very seriously. You, You have a sense that there's probably something there. I'm sure it really matters. It's just not going particularly well for you. Here's what this means for you. It means that if you do open the door to faith in Christ, If you do walk through that door in faith, as you do move closer and closer to Christ, you will not feel the weight of condemnation bearing down on you more and more. Do more. Be better. Come on. No, you will find the opposite. You will find a loving, humble, eternal, resurrected God-man who took the weight of the law on his shoulders so that you can be set free from it. 
Church, as you move closer to Christ, you will find grace. You will find mercy. You will find incredible freedom. As Christians, let's make this our goal as we invest in the lives of others as well, both in our church and outside of our church. Let's not use the truth of God's word to sort of stack bricks on people's shoulders so that they really start to feel the weight of their sin. This is how you need to live. This is what you should have done. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, seeing our sin is important. That is part of the purpose of the law. It reveals our sin, but more importantly, it leads us to God's Son who bore the weight of God's law for us. He was crucified. He was buried. He rose again, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father so that all of us could become sons in him. Praise God. And next, now that God's Son has come, number two, Faith in God's Son unites us to one another. It's not hard to make this case from the book of, of, of Galatians. We've been crucified. We trust in him. He lives through us. We're filled with his spirit. We're baptized into him, and we are all one in him. And yet, it makes sense that some of these ideas might cause some tension for us today. Uh, and I think it's because many Christians today are very passionate about what theologians would call soteriology. It's a fancy word. All it means is the doctrines of salvation, okay? Basically, how do people get saved? Now, that is vital. It's vital, and Paul is clearly concerned with how individual people's sins are justified. The whole thing hangs on that in many, many ways. All of us are justified by faith alone. That is soteriology, and it is essential. If we lose it, we lose the whole thing. But for many reasons, unfortunately, Christians today often divorce soteriology from ecclesiology, which is the doctrines of the church. And basically, what are we meant to be saved into? And you can see why this would be a problem based on what Paul said here. Too often, we don't really have an ecclesiology. We don't really have any biblical views on what a church is supposed to be. If we do, we keep them very few of them. We hold them really loosely, and we just kind of basically think there's this universal thing we don't really have to be a part of in any real sense, but if we trust in Jesus, we just are. And that may be why I'm guessing some of you would be a bit confused and maybe even concerned that Paul says, we are all sons of God through faith for, here's, here's why, as many of you as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Whoa, 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 says the modern Christian with a low view of the church. It's a little bit of a jab, but I love you. Um, Paul, are you trying to say that baptism is what makes us a son of God? That our flesh has to be dunked in real water to get into God's family? Have you heard of justification by faith alone, Paul? Well, yes, I have, he would say. I think one of the reasons you believe in it is because of these letters that I wrote. Uh, so no, he would say, that's not what I mean. I just said we are sons of God through faith. That's true. But everyone who is justified by faith in Jesus should also be baptized into Jesus. And, and this is in large part why he died. It's to make us all one in his body, but like for real, 
In a spiritual sense, yes, but for real. This is Paul's point in Romans chapter 6 when he says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Do you see this? Baptism is what we do with our flesh to crucify our flesh. (laughs) The same is true of the Lord's Supper, which we'll take in a bit. The bread we eat and the blood we drink, they are a participation in Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 10. We who are many are one because we eat of the one bread, Paul says in Corinthians. So once you see the doctrines of salvation are not at odds with the doctrines of the church. They are the basis of the doctrines of the church. And so if we emphasize that we don't need to be baptized and we don't need to take the Lord's Supper to be justified, we may be right about justification. We are. Our soteriology may be in great working order, but we're wrong about like five other things that really matter. Uh, We're undercutting baptism in the Lord's Supper. We're making church basically optional in a way the New Testament does not. And for that reason, we're really, really, really confused about what a church even is. So confused that some churches are making online churches that is not this. That is not this. I I cannot baptize you into an app. I cannot text you the Lord's Supper. It's not this. This is different than that. It's like, I I hear you using that word. I do not think you know what that means, right? Online church is no church at all. And I want us to see Paul sees no tension at all between the family and the way into the family. They go together blessedly. He has no problem telling Christians they're sons of God by faith for they were baptized into Christ, which means, yes, real people gathered into a real church really put them in water based on their real profession of faith to make them a real member, which is Christ's real spiritual body. He really is living through us, and our faith really has united us with one another as his body. This means that when we're gathered like this to worship God, to hear from his word, to seek him in prayer, to take the Lord's Supper, to baptize new believers, listen, Christ is really at work in our midst. In a way, frankly, that he could never be if we all just decided to stay home and and kind of watch this on YouTube this week. It means that if you really are relying on his crucified flesh to justify your sins, then you should be eager bursting with joy to be baptized into him and to link your lives with a specific local church. And it also means, this is our last point, that the solution to our world's many problems is not some new philosophy. It's not some technology. It's not a system of government. It is God's son at work in the world through local churches like ours. This is God's plan. And here's why that is. It's because now that God's Son has come, number three, faith in God's Son supersedes our earthly identities. Now, it's it's a messy world out there. You may have noticed this. Really complicated, especially now. And it should not surprise us that most of the crises in our world revolve around earthly identities. Most of them. Uh, We have ethnic crises, which manifest themselves in wars and immigration controversies. Uh, We have gender crises with bathrooms, sports, 
marriage, and a rise of sexual abuse. We have racial crises because of our nation's dark history with race-based slavery practiced predominantly by Christians who claim to believe exactly what it is we believe, and because of the incredibly complicated and frustrating and even bloody process of trying to undo that, all of the most urgent crises in our world revolve around our earthly identities, and that should not surprise us even one bit. Because our earthly identities have been fueling the chaos of sin in our world ever since God confused our language and scattered us into these nations to begin with at the Tower of Babel. And here's his solution to all of that. It's not democracy. It is not socialism. It is not better education or stronger activism. No, his solution is to unite people of all earthly identities into one spiritual family by faith in his son, Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ, built on the gospel of Jesus Christ, bound together by faith in Jesus Christ. That is God's solution to all of this. Here's what that means. It means that the more varieties of people who are joined together in real local churches by faith in Christ, and even the more different those varieties of people are, and the more hostile those varieties of people used to be before they were in Christ, the more evident Christ's presence will be in the world today. And the more glorified God the Father will be through the life of his church, which is in his Son. This is why, church, we must pursue a socially, ethnically diverse, otherworldly kind of fellowship where all kinds of men and women are both loved valued and respected by one another. It's so that the world will look in on the church and say, that's not something humans can do. That, that doesn't just happen in our world. That they might say, well, listen, I watch CNN. So I know that those people who believe in small government and all that, they do not love minorities. They're all racist. They keep minorities down and they try and stop them from voting. That's what they might say, and then they'll look in on the life of our church and say, oh, that's, that's not how it works for them. E even the white Republicans, they actually love people of all nations in this church, like really. E and the minority members of the church, they even trust and love them back. It's crazy, how is that possible? It's because God sent his son to unite us together as one spiritual family in him. Or they might say, well, listen, oh, okay, I watch Fox. So I know that these people who are always talking about justice, they don't really care about truth or doctrine. They want to steal cultural power and redefine everything and shake it all up. Then they might look at our church and say, oh, it's not actually how it works for them. Everyone actually cares about truth and justice. They even talk to one another about these kinds of things. They even love each other when they disagree about how to pursue these things in the world. How could that possibly be? It's because God sent his son to unite us as one spiritual family in him. Or they might say, look, I'm pro-woman. So I know these complementarian churches, 
They do not care about women. They're filled with power-hungry men who abuse women. And you get the idea. The idea is that look in on our church and they'd say, oh, interesting. That's not how it works here. They, they do believe what the Bible says about men and women. And the, the men do love and value the women. And, and, and the women do actually trust and respect the men. Even their marriages are both biblical and just saturated by grace and mercy and, and, and forgiveness. What in the world is going on here? How could this possibly be true? It's because God sent his son to unite us as one spiritual family in him. And this spiritual union we have with Christ supersedes all of our earthly identities. Church says, he is doing it. It's not even us. We've been crucified. <laughs> that right there, happening in local churches like ours right here, is God's plan to redeem all of creation. As Paul says in Romans chapter 8, he says, For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of what? The sons of God. Church, we saw in our series through Genesis that only God can keep his promise to bless all nations. We saw that. And we're seeing in this series that only God can unite all of humanity in a spiritual family like this. And now that we have seen this after picture, we know exactly how he's doing it. He is doing it in his son. In Christ Jesus, we are all sons of God through faith, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, and we, if we are Christ's, then we are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. 